0: Good morning. morning. Well, we are continuing our series on the name of God. And today we are looking at Yahweh Ropha, which means the Lord heals. The Lord heals. Let me tell you what I'm going to do this morning. What I'm going to do is going to put this name in the context in Exodus 15, what circumstances that God say I'm the healer, and I want to assure you that God continue to heal us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Then I want to give you eight principles to hold to have a better grasp and understanding, a biblical understanding of God's healing, because this is a very sensitive and very controversial topic. And uh, we don't hold this in balance, and sometimes you can hear all this kind of teaching on healing. It is, in the best sense, it is unbiblical, and in the worst sense, it is heresy. And so I want to approach this text carefully, and I hope you will journey with me in this little time that I have to give you a clearer teaching on healing, God's healing. The story of uh, God being Yahweh Ropha comes from Exodus 15. And Exodus 15 is in the context of God sent Moses to Egypt to lead the people out of slavery. After they have remained bondage for 430 years. So they leave, they left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. God performed this mighty miracle we're all familiar with, part of the sea, walk across. And as after they crossed the Red Sea, they were singing, they were worshipping. And from verses 1 to 21, it is known as the Song of Moses and Miriam. Just in case you do not know, Moses wrote songs as well, not just David, even in the book of Psalms. And so let me read to you verse 1 to 3. I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. In the 21 verses, two names were mentioned in those verses, and that's Elohim and Yahweh. So they were singing. Can you imagine they've been in slavery for 430 years? They are looking forward to Moses. Moses came, delivered them right in front of their eyes, saw God part of the Red Sea. They walked right through it. And then the scripture says this, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. The word Shur means war. They hit a wall. They had run into a wall of despair instead of a window to blessing. Suddenly all this great joy hit a wall. In what sense did they hit the wall? Because for three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. That is one thing, alright? And then not only that, you have your hope raised up because you found water. And then when they found the water, they realized that the water was bitter. They couldn't drink. So it is one thing that there's no water. The second thing, they, look, they found water and yet the water that is right in front of you, you can't drink because it was bitter. And so as usual, they, will be, they became upset. So in summary, their jubilation over liberation soon becomes frustration over dehydration. So they say, What are we to drink? There's water here, but it's bitter. What are we to drink? So, as usual, they start to complain to Moses. Moses has a hard life, man. You know, bitterness can blind us to the promises of God, and bitterness can abuse the kindness of God. They have forgotten their life in Egypt was terrible, even though they ate bitter herbs as part of the Passover to remember the bitterness of slavery. They did all this. But now freedom from Egypt has also left them feeling bitter because their expectations are shattered. And so what do you do? You cried out to Moses. And this is what Moses, got. Moses, cried out to the Lord. And then the Lord showed him a piece of wood he threw it into the water and then the water became sweet from bitter became sweet or some versions say it became fit to drink and of course they were happy again sometimes our happiness depends on circumstances isn't it whereas joy often depends on relationship with god You still can have joy, even you may be going through the toughest time in your life, you have God as your Father. So that is the context. And then God went on to tell Moses this to the people. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands, you keep all His decrees, I brought on the Egyptian. Sorry. I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. Why? Because I am Yahweh Ropha. Yahuwah Ropha. I am the one who heals. The word, the word Ropha simply means, about, appears about 60 times in the Old Testament. And it simply means to restore, to heal to mend, to cure, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Let me repeat that. The word rofa means to cure, to mend, to heal, to restore, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Scripture mentioned many times the healing of this tree, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, let me give you just two examples how this word Rapha is being used in the Old Testament. Just two, without explaining the context to you. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it says Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which has been torn down. Rapha meant. Kill, restore. And another verse in 2 Kings chapter 2, it said, This is what the Lord says I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. The same word heal here is Rafa, mend, repair. God continued to heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And this is summarized up in one of the prayers made by David in Psalm 62. It says here, sorry, I missed that. It, it says here, three of this healing took place in David's life. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint emotionally. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony, physically. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love, spiritually. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. And even in the story in Exodus 15, you can see... God heals them physically, emotionally, and spiritually as well in those texts. And God heals physically. In the scripture, there are numerous, both Old and New Testament, that God performed a mighty miracle in healing people physically. And one of the examples is uh, King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. I think the only man in the Bible, I may be wrong, the only man in the Bible that God actually extended his life by 15 years. He cried out to the Lord. He was a good king in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was one of the eight good kings. He did some good things, some good work. And he prayed to the Lord for healing. And God healed him and extended his life 15 years. And this is what it says here. This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and I will heal you. I will add 15 years to your life. Yesterday at our church leaders' retreat, I briefly touched on this passage. Unfortunately, God may extend Hezekiah 15 years, but his 15 years are not necessarily good because it is in the 15 years that he became proud and arrogant and his sin. But nevertheless, it is, it is an example of God heals you physically, and God can heal you physically. And emotional healing, mental problem, this is a, a, a big issue in the world, isn't it? In 2019 statistic that I look up, 970 million people globally were living with a mental disorder. 970 million, almost 1 billion people on the planet Earth have mental disorder with anxiety and depression ranked the highest. And the world is only what, 8 billion people? 1 billion people! Have mental disorder. And Australia is known as one of the what do you call it, most livable city in the world. And yet, mental disorder, anxiety, depression is also one of the highest. Most livable city in the world. So it only tells you the material things doesn't necessarily mean good emotional mental health. You can easily equate that. God heals us emotionally. It's right throughout Scripture, many times, Psalms shows that. I'll just give you one verse Psalms 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted, He binds up their wounds. God heals us emotionally and mentally, He bounds up. Our wounds. The word broken means to burst, to break into pieces, to crush, to smash into pieces. And some people's heart has been smashed into a thousand pieces. And it can only glue back by the love of God. And I can say confidently that most of our emotional problem, not all, most of our emotional problem has to deal with relational struggle. Usually, if that component is properly handled, you will have lesser emotional pain. Relational struggle ranks the highest in inflicting humanity with emotional and mental problems. And God's healing power can mend even the deepest wounds of your soul. Time doesn't heal. Only God heals. And then, not just only physical uh, healing, emotional healing, but more importantly, Scripture mentions spiritual healing. This is by far the most important of the three realms of healing. Yahweh Rapha sees that we are spiritually sick that he provides healing and wholeness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because as I mentioned many times before, as Oswald Smith said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And we have to treat the source of the problem, not just the symptoms. Any medical profession will want to find out. And that is why diagnosis is, to me, if you can diagnose a problem, it sets you apart from any, anyone else in your profession. You can diagnose a problem. It means you are clever, you are smart. Because unless you can diagnose, you cannot treat. And so the scripture diagnoses that humanity problem is a problem of the heart. And therefore, it needs to deal with first. As C.S. Lewis said, it is not improvement that we need, but redemption. We do not need to, we don't need to be nicer people. We need to be a new people. And that is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. It is that drastic. You need to be born again, a new being. And baptism symbolizes that. You die to your old self. You raise up a complete new person. In some uh, Christian tradition, they even give you a new name because you are a new being. You don't need improvement. You need redemption. You don't need to be a nicer people. You need to be a new being. And that is what Jesus came for. Jesus often healed the sick, made the lame walk, and he always moved beyond that to touch on this humanity heart problem. When John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, came as a forerunner in preparing for Jesus' coming, the Messiah, he was languishing in prison. He was wondering, what is this Messiah doing? Preaching about peace and this and that. How come he's not be more militant in that sense? So he was a little bit confused. Why am I in prison? And so he sent his disciples to talk to Jesus. And then the disciples went to his found Jesus, find his find Jesus, and said, whoa. whoa, whoa. Are you the one to come or should we expect someone? Are you really the Messiah that John the Baptist is is talking about? or, Or should we actually expect someone else? What did Jesus say? Jesus answered this verse, very important. Jesus said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised. And then he said what? And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He did not stop there. Physical, emotional healing is not the end. Jesus is saying, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Evangelism, not physical healing, not social work, must always be the main point of the church. It's not enough just to build, uh, give clean waters to those who are poor, build roads, as important as necessary it is. But the heart of it is still gospel because Christians believe the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, not just this external. What we can do, or Charles Spurgeon used to say, if you want to give a gospel tract to someone, a poor people, you must wrap it with a sandwich. You, you must do both. But the problem is when we do both, the emphasis tends to be on the social side. And that is the frustration of the founder of World, World Vision, isn't it? He left and started Samaritan Purse. Because he has evolved into just a social enterprise, as important as it is. He's done wonderful work. But he still wants the aspect of the Gospel in it. And that, that is where Samaritan Purse came about to try to incorporate the gospel into the social work that they do. And so it is only to underscore that spiritual healing is important. And so Jesus here, God is our healer, he heals us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I want to move now to give you eight principles. Now, these eight principles are important. I hope I cover it so that you will see this uh, in a biblical way. I hope I I study and dig through the scripture to provide you a true account of uh, healing according to the scripture. Because Exodus 15, I don't have it up there, in verse 25, it says that after they cried out to the Lord... After the Lord showed Moses a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and became, and became fit to drink and became sweet and then you said, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Put them to the test. And sometimes pain can be a test. How do you know what's stuff inside of you? Unless you are being squeezed out, right? Unless you go through difficulty, challenge, then you will see whether or not what's happening inside of you, it begins to display. And so let me give you this eight principle to keep in mind that will help us pass the test and better understand the healing power of Yahweh Rapha. The first one is trials and tribulation can get us back on track. Trials and tribulation can get us back on the track. Sometimes trials and troubles can be blessing to achieve higher good in us and to further achieve God's plan. Many people have been brought have been brought through their spiritual senses only when hell fails. The healing of the body leads to a cleansing of the soul. Even to the point of thanking God for illness. In the words of J.C. Rye, he said, Health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. Somehow people only look up when they are put on their backs. In suffering, God is not getting back at you. He is getting you back to Himself. And Psalms 119 tells us that. He said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. And it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Sometimes we are afflicted, suffer physical, emotional pain. Then we see that God is there. C.S. Lewis used to say, God only whispers in your pleasure. He speaks to your conscience, but He shouts in your pain, because that's the only way to rouse a deaf world. Secondly, sometimes our pain is related to personal sin. Please underline the word sometimes. Sometimes our pain is related to personal sin. This is the universal principle. You reap what you sow. That is biblical principle. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, there are some, some, things, some pain in our lives that we suffer is precisely due to our sin. And we have to cut it off. So as to relieve you of the pain. And so it's not a bad idea that when you are suffering, it's good to ask yourself whether are you sinning. You are living in sin. And as a result, you are suffering the consequences of that. You reap what you sow. If you plant selfishness, you will reap loneliness. If you plant pride, you will reap destruction. If you plant bitterness, you will reap isolation. If you plant gossip, you will reap enemies. And if you plant worries, you will reap wrinkles. But if you plant goodness, you will reap friends. If you plant humility, you will reap greatness. If you plant consideration, you will reap harmony. If you plant forgiveness, you will reap reconciliation. If you plant openness, you will reap intimacy. I mean, this is a universal principle. That sometimes we are in pain is due to our sins. Just in case you get it wrong, I purposely... Oh, no, before that I have a verse for you. Psalms 107 says this, Some became fools through their rebellious ways, and they suffered affliction because of their iniquities. But thankfully, the Lord said, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. He sent out His word, He healed them, He rescued them from the grave. How good is God! Number three, just in case you don't get number point number two, I emphasize again, not all illness is directly linked to personal sin. I do not want you to walk away and think that your pain is all due to your sin. No. Not all illness is directly linked to personal sin. That is the mistake of Job's friends, isn't it? Job's friends insist that Job's suffering is because of his sin. And he went on to keep on accusing him chapters after chapters, reason after reason, accusing him after accusing him, saying that he's suffering because of his sin until he was so frustrated. He said, no, I don't want to hear you anymore. I want to talk to God. Be careful what you ask. And God said, okay, I'll appear before you. And God spoke to him. Go and read Job chapter 38 to 42. 42. God asked Job 66 questions. And Job has no answer. And then he just bowed down and worshipped God. So that was the mistake that Job's friend made when they kept accusing him of wrongdoing because in their minds, Job was suffering because he had somehow sinned. Remember the story in John chapter 9 there was this black man born blind? And then he was healed. And then the disciple asked Jesus, Who sinned? Is it the parents or his sin that he was born blind? What did Jesus say? Jesus simply said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So, not all illness is directly linked to personal sin. There are some pain in your life is due to your sin, but not all, all alright? Number four, please do seek professional help, but go to the great physician first. Please do not believe any faith healer that tells you if you seek medical help, you have no faith. Please do seek professional help. Please see the doctor. Please go for your chemo treatment if you have to. It doesn't mean to say that you have no faith. The worst thing that a person can inflict on someone who is sick is to say that you have no faith and therefore you are in this situation. This is the worst form of inflict that you can do it on a person. Don't be that person. Please don't be that person. Please do. Seek professional help. Did God just transform the water into sweetness? Why did God choose to use a piece of wood? He can simply do that, right? Why did He use a piece of wood? There is someone in the Bible who was ill. He only see doctor but never go to God. You know who is the person? He's a king from the southern kingdom of Judah. A good king. His name is King Asa. A-S-A. This is what the scripture says of him. Though his disease was severe... Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physician. Go to the great physician. Please do. And go and seek doctor or professional help if you need to. But ask, go to God in prayer. Ask God to heal you. But go and see, seek help. Don't bypass the great physician on the way to the doctor's office. Pray in the car. Pray and seek help. Number five, we need the community of faith. James chapter 5 says that community of faith is important and help us better understand the name of God that Yahweh is Our healer. James chapter 5, verse 13 says Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Community is important, but community can be also a problem. If the community is not a biblical community, it can inflict more pain on the person who is sick by saying those things that I just mentioned earlier on. You are sick because you sinned. And so we need to be tender. We need to, to, to be careful what we speak to those who are ill, especially when you go to hospital. Be careful. If you don't know, as a pastor, I don't know what to say sometimes. And my general rule is you don't know what to say, then don't say anything. That is a, always a general uh, rule. Uh, there is a lady who had cancer at the age of 32. And uh, she wrote this poem called Comforters. And this is what she said She said, When I was diagnosed with cancer, my first friend came to see me and expressed his shock by saying, I can't believe that you have cancer. I always thought you were so active and healthy. He left, and I felt alienated and somehow very different. My second friend came and brought me information about different treatments being used for cancer. He said, whatever you do, don't take chemotherapy. It's a poison. He left, and I felt scared and confused. My third friend came and tried to answer my whys with the statement, perhaps God is disciplining you for some sin in your life. He left and I felt guilty. My fourth friend came and told me, if your faith is just great enough, God will heal you. He left and I felt my faith must be inadequate. My fifth friend came and told me to remember that all things work together for good. He left and I felt angry. My sixth friend never came at all. I felt sad and alone. And then my seventh friend came and he held my hand and said to me, I'm so sorry, I care, I'm here. I want to help you through this. He left, and I felt love. Sometimes I make a lot of mistakes, you know, while good intention we sometimes inflict more pain on the person than anything. I remember when I was in my old church, we went to pray for this lady who was who had cancer, or this man, non-believers. With some ladies we went there and prayed, scream and shout with the loudest voice, lay hands and all that. And then after we left, the wife said to us, please don't come back again. Please don't return. In our enthusiasm sometimes we inflict pain. So we need to be a good biblical community who genuinely care and pray. I have a friend my, one of my best friends who died at the age of 38, cancer and he only married for two years and his, his son is one year old and my good friend's wife always said, whenever I go to Singapore I visit her, we have lunch, dinner, she said you know for the first few years of my life many people come and say to me, all things work together for good always say that to me. I always cry. I say, what's so good about God taking away my husband? I married only for two years and leave behind a year old son for me. I don't know what good is there. But each time I spend time with her, time and time again after showing that you love, you care, I turn to Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. But at that time, people are able to accept now because they already know that you care. They know that you care. So don't just rebuild and come with solution as much as it is good. Motive is good, but we just have to be sensitive to care first. Care means kara. The Original word means kara. Number six, faith is a force in healing. The Bible also mentioned that faith is required. And this is, this is where the tension comes in, isn't it? When you want to submit to God's sovereign will, how much faith is needed? So there is a balance of you do not know God's sovereign will, but at the same time, faith is required for healing to take place. Because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus did mention this, that he could not do any miracles there in that particular town except lay of hands on a few sick people and heal them. Why? Because he was amazed at their lack of faith. So it's necessary to have our framework right, trust in God, have faith, yet at the same time submit ourselves completely to his sovereign will. Number seven, sometimes healing takes place in unusual way. By the way, those are real house, okay? Sometimes healing takes place in unusual ways. Damien, you look at it very stunned. You, you're, you're working overtime, are you trying to design a house like that or draw a house like this? Uh, uh, sometimes healing takes place in unusual way. Uh, you know our minds are so small. Do you know how You know some of us think that we are so smart and clever, and intelligent. When in reality, we know so little. We know so little. You know when, you know before my exam, I study. I think I know enough. You know, but when you you don't know how much to cover. Knowledge is such a vast thing that we know so little. That is why someone said that education is a process of revealing your ignorance. And the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, the more you need to be humble in a sense. And same when we apply to God, sometimes we don't know. God has a bigger picture. Oscar Wilde, the, the Irish playwright in a very witty way, used to say that when the gods wish to punish us, they answer our prayers. Since you asked for such a small little thing, oh, I'll give it to you. Actually, it's bigger one here. God, in his sovereign will, he amazingly used all kinds of ways, even in pain and sickness. Tony Compolo, he told of a story. He's a great storyteller. He, he his book always full of story. And he, he told of a story of some uh, one lady asked him to come over to pray for her husband who had cancer. And he went over, he prayed, claimed and all that. And a few days later, he, re- she, he received a phone call from her and said, Pastor, I'm very sorry to inform you that my husband died. And then Tony Compolo felt terrible. But this person continued. She said, Don't feel bad, Pastor. When you saw him, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time. And he hated God. He was only 58 years old and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. He was angry and that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and he would curse God. And the more he's anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But then this lady continued, After you prayed for him, Pastor, a peace had come over him and a joy had come into him. And the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We prayed, we laughed, we sang, we hugged, we called upon the Lord. It was such a beautiful time. We had the best time together. And then she said these profound words in closing He said, He wasn't cured, but he was healed. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. Sometimes healing takes place in unusual ways. Lastly, the cross of Christ is a source of healing. Don't, remember, don't forget, it is not your faith that heals you. You know, some people say you must have more faith. It's not your faith that heals you. The source is Christ. It's not your faith. It's Christ. The cross of Christ is a source of healing. Isaiah 53, a very familiar passage. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So the source of healing is the cross of Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And in Leviticus, I like this verse. I never came across this verse until I studied this topic and, and preached to you. It's Leviticus 26, verse 13. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I broke the bars of your yoke, and I enable you to walk heads hell. High. Who would think that this verse appears in the Bible? He broke the bars of your yoke, and he is able to enable you to walk with your heads held high. Christ is the source of healing. I have read to you only from verse twenty-two to twenty-six. I have purposely left out twenty-seven. For now, they complained to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord and saw the piece of wood, threw the wood into the water, and the water became sweet, and they were able to drink. And the place is called Mara. Mara, I pronounce Mara. And now, after they drink the water, God led them to another place. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they came there near the water. 12 springs and 70 palm trees. God brought them from Mara to Elim from bitterness to sweetness. And in the New Testament, Jesus died on a piece of wood on the cross. And he said in chapter 7, John 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He is above the palm tree, and the spring. He's both a piece of wood and a water. He's moving from Mara to Elim. I hope I give this treatment of healing uh, from the biblical sense in a balanced way. If we are ill, remember God is moving towards spiritual healing. It must take place there first. And then The other thing will come into place when that is right. God heals physically, emotionally, and spiritually in His own ways, in His own time. We need to submit our lives to Him and trust, trust that He is the God that heals us. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that today we are able to read Your words and be reminded again that, Lord, you are God, our healer. Some of us here need to be healed physically, some of us emotionally, some of us spiritually. We need your healing touch, dear Lord. We need you. Know the amount of material things. Know the amount goals that we achieve. No amount of things in this world can ever satisfy this deepest longing of our hearts. And only you can heal that. We ask for your special healing touch upon anyone here this morning, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, that they will come and drink of this water, this living water, that you have taught up for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our healer. Thank you, Lord. Amen.